from a crystal fortress in the Arctic, it's the IGN Digigods. Please welcome two men who already believe a man can fly, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. I don't know if a man can fly, but I know Mark Kaiser cannot. Uh, Corey, go ahead. Tell us what longtime listener of ours go ahead and sent that in. That was written, in part, by Eric Altieri. That was written by Eric Altieri, except for the end where I had to put in Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. That's okay. Uh, I'm sitting here alone in front of the mic because Mark is in his, I don't know, do you call those pajamas? What are those? Pajamas. They're in p- pajamas. Pajamas, pajamas, tomato, tomato. It, and you are wallowing in illegality. Yeah. You know, I want to be I want to be so old, right? That I can walk around in like a unicolored tracksuit, right? You know, you know, like these old guys, they walk around in like these big big red tracksuits. They don't yeah. care. No. They go to the farmers market and they they buy whatever they want and they yeah. don't and they wear what they want. Yep. Yeah. I know. I, I want to get to that place in my life. Uh, I hear you. I'm almost there. I know. I know. I know you are. Well, you know what? We uh, let's start off. We did last week. We did the giveaway right at the top of the show. We got another giveaway. We're gonna do our giveaway right at the top. Giveaway right. Another at the top. giveaway. Another we did a giveaway, giveaway last week. I know. We're being too generous. So these have to get into us. These emails have to get into us. Gods at digigods dot com. Gods at digigods dot com. These emails have to get into us by uh, Friday the seventeenth. So, time, date, stamp, Friday the 17th. We'll pick three winners. And you. Uh, this also comes to us from the good people at ARC Entertainment, same as last week. Uh, fascinating, because it, uh, you know, the issue last week, it was, a, it was a Civil War thing with the Confederate flag on the cover. It's almost like they read our minds, and they're trying to make some kind of strange amends. Uh, the, uh, the film this time is Freedom, with Cuba Gooding Jr. and William Sadler. And uh, actually, a true story here. It's fascinating, to be honest. Um, the uh, and it's and it's one of the best things that Cuba Gooding Jr. has done in a long time. And this thing isn't getting a theatrical release, and it should. Uh, probably should have gotten at least a small release of some kind. It's it's actually he's really really good. And you, for, I, I'd forgotten with all the crud that he's been doing in the last decade how good he actually can be. And there's some other really good sporting performances in there too. David Raish shows up again, uh, who you know was like the only recognizable face in United '93. Um, he's always great. Television sledgehammer, fantastic actor. Uh, the anyway the in this one. Um, Cuba Gooding Jr. plays Samuel Woodward, uh, who in 1956, pre-Civil War, um, decides to uh, escape the plantation where he's a slave and try to get to Canada on the Underground Railroad. And uh, you intercut this story with one that happens uh, about a century earlier, dealing with Captain John Newton... Um, who is uh, who? Which is a story that deals with a slave ship, and um, I won't give that story away. If you know the history, you know sort of how that intertwines. But it be- it's really interesting how the two things connect. It's a smartly written film, uh, very nicely done. Tim Che wrote it. Peter Cousins uh, or Cousins, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. C o u s e n s uh, directed it. Solid film. 
And uh, this comes from the company Heritage Films, and it's being released on uh, DVD by ARC Entertainment. Um, and we're giving away three copies of it. So go ahead and send us an email, freedom in the subject line, and then your name and your address in the body of the, of the email. And send it to gods at digigods.com. Three lucky people will uh, will receive this. We'll pick the names uh, as long as it gets to us by the 17th, July 17th. The movie is Freedom. Thank you, Ark. Lovely, lovely little gift for our listeners. Our listeners are worth every gift. Yes, they are. Um, all right, Mark. Um, you know what? I've got KidVid. Do you want to just keep pajamaing while I do a do a round of KidVid? I don't know what pajamaing is, but whatever it is, I'd rather do that than hear about kids okay. because I don't have kids. Well, I do. I have a daughter. I have a two-year-old daughter, as anybody who listens to the show regularly knows. So we are always interested in uh, seeing what she likes and what she doesn't like. And so far, she just likes British stuff. Peppa Pig and uh, Wallace and Gromit. And oddly enough, Downton Abbey, which in our house is called Dobby Abbey. Uh, We're still not clear on what she understands about Downton Abbey, but she likes it. That's all that matters. Uh, Scholastic Storybook Treasures. Anybody who doesn't have kids, just you can fast forward through the show. But Scholastic Storybook Treasures releases a lot of great stuff, really beautifully animated, and it's really smart for kids, and they pay attention. That's the most important thing. Kids pay attention to this stuff. Four, this is called I Want My Hat Back and More Happy Stories. And uh, it comes with a read-along DVD. And uh, kids pay attention to this stuff. It's amazing. I always enjoy the animation, but it isn't until you have a kid and you put it in and you go, wow, she's paying attention. She's not ignoring it and just kind of dividing her attention. It really, it's very engaging. Stories here, I Want My Hat Back, The Lucky Ducklings, The Happy Lion, and The Happy Owls, all beautifully animated and illustrated. Um, That's a winner. All that scholastic stuff's always a winner. Uh, the Magic School Bus season three, also a Scholastic release. I, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm intermittently lukewarm on this. It doesn't. It's it's a little beyond my daughter at this point because she's not riding a school bus. I'm, she doesn't really quite fully get it. But uh, Pound Puppies is always uh, fun. Kids love dogs, and uh, nothing deep here. Nothing terribly educational. This is from Shot Kids via Hasbro. Uh, or Hasbro via Shout, uh, Shout Kids, uh, Shout Factory's Kid Line. Uh, cute series. There are five episodes on this one, and uh, you know if, you've, if it's it's innocuous and it's not loud and offensive, it's on the upper scale. What is loud and offensive and totally annoying is the uh, new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line uh, a series on on uh, Nickelodeon. This is Return to NYC. And I just find this thing really obnoxious. And it seems like every time they reinvent this series in any form at all, it gets even more obnoxious. It's like that's the only way that they feel they can reinvent the wheel. So this includes, uh, you know, a bunch, of, a bunch of episodes, including the two-parter, Casey Jones versus the Underworld. It's loud. I just I can't, can't, can't quite deal with it. Also from Nickelodeon, a bunch of playdates. They do these things every once in a while. They throw a bunch of, uh, you know, Dora the Explorer stuff and Bubble Guppies and Go Diego and all their, their Team Umazumi and all their stuff, Blues Room. They, they kind of throw a potpourri of these things on there, so it's a little bit like having a, a Nickelodeon marathon that you just throw on to keep the kids busy for a few hours. I get it. Uh, some of the more interesting animation, especially on Blu-ray for kids, is Monster High. This is Scaris. 
City of Frights. You get it? It's a pun. Scara, City of Frights. Blu-ray and DVD combo set. Uh, these things are always very, very well animated. Obviously, it's not for all kids, not for everybody. It's, uh, you know, the, the animated equivalent of the monsters or whatever you might have. Uh, and, you know, these things are kind of growing on me a little bit. Uh, I don't watch them all the way through, but uh, what I watch, it's, it's, I'm kind of starting to get it. So I guess it's, a, it's an acclimation function. Uh, Frog Kingdom gets the, uh, the Dove family-approved seal of approval thing. Uh, this is better than expected animation. Uh, this is from Lionsgate. Grindstone is the company that did the animation. Actually looks a, l- a little bit like what um, Mark f- f- over there in the other room as you're slouching around. What was the name of the company that was originally another company that did Ants before DreamWorks Animation? They became DreamWorks Animation. TMI, TZI, TM something, what was it TZI, called? TZI, what are you talking about? No, what are you talking about, Willis? It was the animation company. It was, it was the Pixar competitor that the DreamWorks then absorbed. Well, anyway, before know. they became DreamWorks Animation, the work they were doing on movies like Ants, that's kind of what this looks like. That's, so this feels like uh, something in the works. Anyway, uh, you know, it's like A Bug's Life, except that you're in the world of frogs. And uh, some decent voice work here by, uh, you know, people like uh, Cameron Dallas and Keith David, who's always great. So uh, not, not terrible. Not terrible. So that's uh, Frog Kingdom. Some nascent talent there. Uh, PBS Kids gives us some interesting stuff. Uh, Caillou is, for some reason, considered hugely educational and actually holds people's attention. And my daughter watches it. We're still trying to figure out all kinds of things, like why Caillou's bald and why there are, there's little cloudy borders around the picture. And, you know, the usual answer that we come up with is it's Canadian. No one really understands the Canadians. They just do things. So, you know, it's all very educational. Caillou makes a meal and... Uh, the untidy classroom, and you, you're, you learn something in every single one of them, and it makes me feel like I never grew up. Uh, also from PBS Kids, Wild Kratts, Super Sprinters, the Wild Kratts series, uh, not one of my favorites. I get it. It's a whole wild animal thing. It's a little bit like uh, Dinosaur Train. They try to combine animation with something educational and ecological, and that's fair enough. It's just not my, not my speed. And I'm getting close here, Mark. You might want to get uh, get all kind of perched because we're going to be uh, jumping uh, into something better in a second. Littlest Pet Shop, pause for applause. Littlest Pet Shop has a following. Cute animation, cute pets, nothing particularly deep. There are uh, five episodes of this ongoing series here. Uh, a couple more interesting scholastic titles that combine things. Uh, this is Scholastic Storybook Treasures, Scaredy Squirrel and Bink and Golly, double feature. Uh, both of them recommended. There are uh, four things here. There's uh, Scaredy Squirrel. Scaredy Squirrel makes a friend. And then Bink and Golly and Bink and Golly, two for one. Uh, All of it really first rate. And then also from Scholastic Storybook Treasures is 20 Back to School Tales. Uh, This is fantastic. A lot of classics on here that have been previously released, like Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. And Mark, you've never read Chicka Chicka Boom Boom the book, have you? Yeah, it's great. It's great. It is. My daughter loves it. In the animated, it's even better. Uh, you also get the gym teacher from the Black Lagoon, Crazy Hair Day, uh, the teacher from the Black Lagoon, the librarian from the Black Lagoon. Uh, Miss Nelson has a field day. Miss Nelson is back. A lot of really fun stuff here. So, uh, and how do dinosaurs go to school? Go to school and splat the cat. Two previous releases that are great. And then uh, Curious George, Back to the Jungle Three, which is a new Curious George movie. 
didn't really do much for me. Not into Curious George. Angela Bassett and John Goodman voicing, uh, doing voice talent is probably the only interesting thing about it. Uh, a needless Tom and Jerry original movie called Spy Quest in which they seem to abandon everything that has ever defined Tom and Jerry. I would really like for the people at Warner Brothers to just go back to the drawing board and give us Tom and Jerry not as like an adventure duo, but as a just a cat and a mouse who chase each other around and do antics. We don't need to. We don't need to be like playing Iron Man and and you know Avengers with Tom and Jerry and, and Spy Kids. It's just it's not what they were meant to do. It's too much. And then finally, uh, My Little Pony: Friendship Is Magic. Mark and I are not bronies, but we we appreciate the bronies on some level. Uh, at least we pretend to. This is uh, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, Cutie Mark Quests. And I'm sure there are a lot of grown men that will just be going nuts for this. Um, but, uh, you know, it's made for little girls. Let's try to limit it to little girls for the time being. Is that it for KidVid? That's it for KidVid, Mark. Yeah, I can return. All right. Let's talk about real stuff. Whoa, wait. We got a big uh, criterion this week. Whoa. We got, well, we got, we got lots of criterion. We got some, I got some foreign in my hand. But what do, you, whoa, 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 what do you mean you got some foreign in your hand? Oh, well, you know. Because that's just weird. <laughs> what do we got? Uh, we got the Black Stallion Wade from Carol Ballard. This you know, is, he was a UCLA grad. Carol Ballard uh, went to UCLA. What? I'm just saying. Who? You know, we, we need okay. all we, we gotta We got to brag about all our UCLA people. Okay, name, to, name three UCLA people who you still talk to the, to this day. Uh, nobody? You mean, you mean people who've actually made things? Nobody, nobody, and nobody. Yeah, well. Anyway, Black Stallion's classic. It's from 1979. It's based on the children's novel. And uh, it's about this uh, kid shipwrecked on an an island, and uh, he finds an Arabian stallion, and they become friends. Did you know that Zoe Deschanel's dad was the cinematographer on this? Wuggles? (laughs) Caleb Deschanel? It's just it's funny to refer to. It's like now he's known as Zoe Deschanel's dad. It's weird. The world changes. This was, uh, of course, this is from Zoetrope Studios. Um... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola's uh, dearly beloved, long, crushed into oblivion. I know. Film studio could have worked. That's true, which explains why there's a Carmine Coppola score. By the way, um, anyway, this is great. It's so beautifully shot by uh, that guy who's Zoe Deschanel's dad, and uh, it's classic and it's long overdue for the Criterion Collection. I love this film. It's, it's lyrical and beautiful, and uh, it's just so wonderful. It's a great film. And, of course, uh, Criterion knocks it out of the park. They have five short films by Carol Ballard with a new introduction from Carol Ballard, uh, a new interview with Caleb Deschanel, which, of course, is fantastic, who Wade and I have seen uh, in person talking about the right stuff. So that's totally. good. A uh, new 4K digital transfer looks fantastic. And, of course, there's the usual uh, Criterion essay. So there you go. Black Stallion on Criterion, a total must, at least a must rent, and uh, long overdue. Sweet. Uh, we also have a couple of foreign criterions, and we'll talk about some foreign films here in a second after we talk about some new movies as well. Uh, but the most interesting one of these, one is a, a heralded classic, and one is very little known but very important. Here is your life. Um, 
beautiful new Blu-ray of the film that began the directing career of Jan Troll, the uh, legendary Swedish director of The Emigrants and many other fine films. Jan Troll possibly, I mean, uh, after, after Ingmar Bergman, it's hard to say who's the most famous Swedish filmmaker. There's, you know... Vilgut Sjöman and, and oh Vilgut Sjöman yeah <laughs> but uh, Jan Trull probably is is very close to being the uh, the number two all time Swedish filmmaker and uh, this is a really good film I wouldn't call it his best film but it's a really good film and and as if it needs any real introduction it gets an introduction by Mike Lee which I don't know how they got that anyway they also have a conversation between Jan Trull and Peter Cowie who does a lot of commentaries and it's all excellent absolutely excellent. Uh, they get in new interviews as well with uh, actor Eddie Axberg and uh, co-screenwriter <clears throat> Bengt Forsland. Uh, a short film from 1965 uh, that Troll made with Ma- uh, Max von Sydow called Interlude in the Marshland. Wouldn't you love to have Max von Sydow in your short film? Oh, can you imagine? What a, what a coup. Uh, and uh, you know what? It's gorgeous. This is a whole new 2K uh, restoration of this film, which is basically a uh, coming-of-age film. This is, I'd almost say this is like his 400 Blows. You know, this is Jan Trill's, um Antoine Duanel film. Uh, and if you've seen all, any of the Antoine Duanel stuff from, from Truffaut, this just plugs really right into it. It's, it's beautifully, beautifully put together. And it's, even though it's a, a, a debut film, it is really, really accomplished. And you, you, you're, you just watch it and you just think... This guy's for real. This is a real filmmaker, and he's got, he's got a real point of view, and he's incredibly accomplished and skilled. The other uh, new Criterion Blu-ray foreign language film is Alain René's Hiroshima Mon Amour, which should need no introduction. Uh, Alain René, of course, is one of the more kind of um, uh, opaque filmmakers uh, of all time. and his You can't film- see through him? His films are just, you just watch them and you just go, I don't know what you're trying, I know you're trying to say something really deep and provocative, but that just confuses the daylights out of me. But it sure is beautiful. And this is one of them. Uh, although this may be a little bit more accessible than most. Uh, certainly it's the most accessible, I think, of his early 50s stuff. This is from 1959. It's 90 minutes, feels like two hours, but that's okay. It's all good. And Emmanuel Riva and Eichi Okada are the uh, are the stars. Emmanuel Riva, most recently, of course, was in uh, the uh, the Oscar winning Amour, and absolutely extraordinary in it. And didn't we give her a co? She she won Alaska's best was, actress. She was a co thing. Yeah, that's what I, I remember. That and it was she, like she the wasn't young there for the, the award. Yeah, it's too bad. She's so good. Um, anyway, it is a it's a, basically a story of a a, a multiracial affair in post war Hiroshima. And it is, uh, it's just stunningly photographed. And the structure is vintage René. It's kind of groovy flashback structure that's very, very hard to sort of wrap yourself around sometimes. But the film itself is just, it's a, you know, it's one of those few, one of those rare films that you can call a tone poem without actually being esoteric and pretentious. That's no, exactly it's, what it is. Uh, there's no way to <clears throat> no, avoid but, being esoteric and pretentious when you say tone poem. Yeah, it's probably true. Out there. Could, could, I, could I say it's the feel-good movie of the year? Yeah. The feel-good movie of 1959? The feel-good uh, uh, post-nuclear movie of <clears throat> 1959? Like Testament. There you go. That's exactly it. Um, all right. And actually, you know, as long as we're on foreign, let me just, uh, let me just make mention of a couple other ones because we do have, you know, why not? I'll segue over into foreign and, and then we'll get into new movies. Um, the, uh, we have a great release here from uh, Film Movement. Film Movement has not been uh, on the on the Blu-ray bandwagon of late, but they got on their new uh, Film Movement Classics line 
has delivered a killer, killer release. And this is a must-have for any foreign language film nut. Uh, Pierre Richard, one of the great French comedic talents of all time, co-stars along with Jean Rochefort, Bert, uh, Bernard Blier, the father of Bertrand Blier, uh, in the classic, amazing The Tall Blonde Man with One Black Shoe by director Yves Robert. This is a fantastic, legendary film from 1972. It's one of the best things that Pierre Richard ever did, uh, even though he's not in it with Gerard Depardieu. And it's just wonderful. It's absolutely one of the best uh, farces you will ever see. It is a, a tour de force performance and uh, one of the best French, French films, I think, of the, uh, of the 70s. And it's out on Blu-ray, and it looks great. It's a 2K uh, transfer, fully restored. Film movement totally knocks it out of the park. And this classics line has a lot of stuff lined up. So Film Movement, who has always been one of our favorite companies, uh, has a lot of cool stuff lined up. And then uh, the one other, uh, well, two other. I've got two other foreign language Blu-rays I'm going to make mention of. The other one is, uh, this next one is Alexei German, the, the Russian director. Alexei German's Hard to Be a God. Um, this comes to us from Kino Lorber, and um, it is, boy, it is rough and brutal. And if you're familiar with, with uh, German's films, uh, he passed away just a few years ago, and he left a filmography that is powerful and brutal. He's kind of like a cross between Tarkovsky and, uh, I don't like, Tarkovsky and Werner Herzog. He's like between the two. And... Um, this is a, a truly amazing, powerful science fiction film that is uh, very much in the vein of kind of the like Tarkovsky sci-fi stuff, based on the uh, novel by the same guy who wrote Stalker. And um, it is, it, it's basically a science fiction film that takes place in a medieval environment. And uh, I'll give you no more about it, but it's a really incredible allegory. And that is called Hard to Be a God by Alexei German. And then the last one was made this last year. Uh, this swept uh, awards all over Europe. This, was, uh, this swept all the French awards, the French Oscars, the Césars. Uh, and it is Abdurrahmane Sisako's Timbuktu. Uh, Sisako is, is sort of the guy who's bringing African cinema to the fore now. And um, this is all about the travails of a small village and the effect that Islamic fundamentalism has, uh, particularly on the women in this village. Um, it is just absolutely devastating. It is powerful. It is poetic. It is beautifully made. And this is also from Cohen and E1. And it is a beautiful Blu-ray uh, in French and Arabic and um, a, a, just a, an incredibly powerful and beautifully shot film. Uh, Timbuktu, not to be missed. Certainly one of the best films of last year. Well, wait, I can't say the same thing for a goodbye to all that. However, it is a charming little film that kind of won me over. It was uh, directed by the same guy who wrote Junebug. This is his first film. It's all about the uh, sexual travails of uh, married and single people in their 30s. So it's a contemporary comedy. And it's got a decent cast, including Heather Graham, who at the time, who back in the day was so delicious. Aww. Now she's a little bit older, but you know she still kept her looks. I got to tell you, pretty ageless. Amy Sedaris is in this too. Um, anyway, you know what? It's a, it's a, I liked it. I thought it was kind of a sweet, kind of minor key little comedy. Means well, you know. It's got some funny lines. Um, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty honest about relationships and 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 pretty hard on its characters, but. Uh, you know, I thought it was kind of a nice little movie. It was charming, won me over, seemed a little cliched at the beginning. 
as this guy kind of gets a divorce and then he, he enters the uh, single scene and what's going to happen to him and who's you know what what he'll start bed hopping and whatnot but um it kind of won me over it's a little bit like uh it's a, it's a little bit like a duplass film in that it has a certain shaggy dog you know low budget charm to it but um it's good i found it relatable and uh fun and it's called goodbye to all that so if you're a 30 something Hopping in and out of beds, maybe either via divorce or never been married. Uh, I'd go for it. I like Paul Schneider. He's never really had that that big career that he deserves. He just sort of bounces from movie to movie. But um, he's a he's a great actor, and he's gonna have, he's gonna pop at some point. So, Mark, if there if there is one movie in recent memory that you just thought in the last few years you just thought that screams for a sequel, that demands a sequel, that movie leaves its story hanging. I cannot go on through life until I know how it ends. I need closure. This must be, there must be more. Life is not complete unless this franchise continues. What movie would that be? See, I. I, You know what? I can tell you. I'll tell you. I I already know what it is. I saw it in the pile. Yeah, well. Blu rays. That, Paul Blart. Oh, my God. Paul Blart Malkoff. I saw Paul Blart. Paul Blart 2? I did. It's brilliant. It's the Godfather. Paul no, Barton. actually, I'm sorry, I got that wrong for a moment. No, it's terrible. It's really, it's just. I mean, the first film wasn't any good. I much, I prefer. It took him a long time to make the sequel. By it's the way, ridiculous. it took him like seven years or something. It's insane. Uh, Observe and Report is what this film should have been. Oh, I love that. Observe movie. and Report is great. It's awesome. I have that it on. Is, I have it on DVD. That's a great movie. It's but that's but that's some twisted stuff that this it's could never so be. So great. It's so great. I know. This is, but this was, you know, that's never going to get a sequel, and this one did. So anyway, Paul Blart, he he got he gets a vacation, and he goes to Vegas with his daughter, and you basically get, uh, you know, Paul Blart Mall Cop, the Die Hard edition. That's essentially what this winds up being. Um, you know what they sent sent us with this, Mark? I'm going to leave this with you. They, look, they sent look, a Blart. No, they sent a Persuasion. I want to show this to you because you need this. Oh. Oh, it's a Paul Blart mustache. Now who came? Now who? <laughs> who pitched that? Who came up with that idea? No. Let's give away a mustache, gold. Give that guy a, give the guy a raise. First of all, is Paul Blart really known by his mustache? I mean, he's got no. a mustache, but is it like? I is it know. like? Is like a like a a Groucho glasses uh, it's, sort it's, of? No, it makes just, no sense to me. I just don't get it. Gag reel, deleted scenes, featurettes, nothing special here. Uh, you know, there's even, it, it, there's a thing on the cat. It's just, it's silly. It's pointless. You I know don't what? know. I don't know who greenlit this. Doesn't uh, it sounds, sense. you know, it's, it's it was, look, it was a no brainer to greenlight because the yeah. film it cost nothing, and yet it was this worldwide hit for some reason. Yeah, and because it was just this, it was it was low hanging fruit on the comedy tree. I know that was great in Flyover Land, and uh, you know, and why not? I just can't believe it took him so long to do it. It's weird. Oh uh, wait, uh, X Machina. Uh huh. That's a movie. Mm-hmm. A very good movie. Now, uh, one of my favorite writers uh, is Alex Garland. He wrote Twenty Eight Days Later and it's Sunshine. His directing debut. And I love him, and I cannot wait for his directing debut. And we have it called Ex Machina, and it is uh, quite a provocative little uh, uh, sci-fi movie of ideas. Alex, uh, what's his name? Um, Isaac. Uh, you know what his name is? Uh, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> he has two first names, man. It's not fair. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Oscar Isaac plays a, a Steve Jobsian reclusive figure, you know, living in this this isolated compound, and he has developed this artificial intelligence played by the uh, uh, very attractive uh, Alicia Vikander, and um, into this little uh, isolated compound comes Dom Hall Gleason, who is the son of um, Brendan Gleason, 
And he plays a kid who wins a competition to spend a week at the at the estate of uh, Oscar Isaac slash Steve Jobs. And there's a reason why Oscar Isaac wants him there. There's a everybody has like their own angle. Oscar Isaac has his angle. Dom Hall has his angle. And it turns out that the the uh, the robot, the android, the whatever, played by Alicia Vikander, she has her angle as well. This thing is um, it's very smart, and it's uh, got a lot of interesting ideas. And it's a it's a really sleek, cool looking kind of chamber. It's it's almost like a chamber play yeah. in a way. There's really only three characters in it. And the whole thing takes place in one location. It's pretty brilliant. But it's so it's really well done. The production design's great. It's kinda like slick. It's kinda slick and smooth, but yet also kinda creepy. Um, and that's also a function of the way it was shot and scored. Uh, so this is good. This is really good stuff. I have to say, I I, I struggled with it a little bit because in a way, you know, you, you the movie kind of wants to have its cake and eat its t- and eat it too in the sense that this android is this beautiful woman mm-hmm. right and you know she uses her s- in, in in what in what I thought was a feminist statement about how this woman is trying to escape the you know the uh the influence of these two men coming at it from different angles sure really it's about another woman who uses her sexuality to get what she wants pretty pretty so cool it's a idea, little though. bit like yeah well you know if it's if it wants to be a feminist statement about a woman trying to escape the influence of men, yet at the same time she does that using sex, I feel like it's eh, it's trying to kind of it's kind of trying to have its cake and eat it too. And eat it too. But um, it's really good. Oscar Isaac, he that guy's having a bunch of moments. He's taken off. You know, most one uh, most violent year was great. He's Although it didn't get any Oscar nominations, which I'm still blown away by that. I know. So I mean, it's just that that still doesn't make sense to me. I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. But. So Alex Garland, the guy's so talented. He wrote this. He directed it. I think he's super smart, and I cannot wait for his next film, whatever that is. So uh, there you go. Ex Machina, very highly recommended by me. You know what else is highly recommended? It fo- it follows by uh, director David Robert Mitchell, who's going to be a big deal, man. Watch, look out for him. He's got a big career coming. Uh, as does young actress Micah Monroe, who stars in this. This was a little film that uh, debuted up at Sundance or Slamdance. I forget which one it was, but um, it's it, this is this is what the Babadook should have been. And no disrespect meant to the Babadook. It's a good film. It just didn't scare me. This thing is, uh, you know, you're always looking for a suspense or horror or thriller film that does something that the others haven't done that just comes at it from a different direction and you know comes at it from outside the box and does something really cool and this does it and it is so innovatively conceptualized and uh, just goes in places and in directions you never would have expected and the direction is fantastic uh, basically it's about a young woman who teenager who who you know is just doing the teenage thing and um, at a certain point and for reasons I will not divulge, uh, she starts to have this crippling feeling that she's being followed. And uh, the way in which this is, the way in which this develops and the way in which it's conveyed is brilliant. And uh, it just continues to show that you you don't need a lot to turn very little into something big. And uh, it's a terrific film. Comes It's on uh, Blu-ray with Ultraviolet. Handful of extras. Uh, there's a, a critic's commentary hosted by Scott Weinberg, which is sort of meh. Uh, and then a uh, conversation with the composer. No director's commentary, which I find disappointing, but I still recommend it. Agreed. Yeah. Did you see it? I did not see it. Wait. Oh, it's good. It's good. All right, Mark. Uh, let's uh, let's see here. Let, you know, TV. Let's 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 
kill off some television uh, real quickly here. I will uh, do, let me get uh, this here. We'll make quick mention of yet another one of these uh, Debbie McComber deals, Cedar Cove. Uh, continues to be kind of a thing on the Hallmark Channel. Um, this is season two with Andy McDowell. It's, you know, if you're familiar with Debbie McComber's writing, it's very, it's very lifetime. It's very Hallmark. It's very sweet and tender. And uh, this is like Twin Peaks, except nobody gets killed and no one's weird. Everyone's just really sweet. And uh, Cedar Cove is in Washington State, not Washington D.C. Otherwise, it would be weird and scary. And, uh, you know, the, it's all based on the, on the books that uh, McComber wrote, and uh, it's produced in Canada, as I understand it, and it's perfectly charming and innocuous, and, and I still love Andy McDowell. I find she's ageless. WKRP in Cincinnati, greatest television comedy of the last 40 years, uh, getting released in single-season sets now. This is the third season, which is riotously funny, 21 episodes. And uh, it just, it, 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 this show just never, ever, ever gets old. And uh, the Batman television series also getting its individual season releases. This is the second season, part two. I still recommend you buy the whole thing in the one awesome boxed set with the uh, little buttons on the box that you know play the theme song and things. This is just terrific. But if you have to start buying it individual seasons and halves of seasons... Uh, second season, part two, is is the one that you get the uh, the uh, Green Hornet crossover in. And you also, unfortunately, get uh, John Astin playing the Riddler at one point instead of uh, Frank Gorshin, which just doesn't really work. Um, but it's still a good season and a lot of great cameos. And then uh, as long as we're on the, uh, on the Blu-ray train... Uh, Little House on the Prairie Season 6 gets its remastered Blu-ray debut. Um, never a huge fan of this show originally. Not that much of a fan of it after the fact, but it continues to have a following. Otherwise, they wouldn't be putting it out on Blu-ray. And uh, a lot of people love this thing. So Laura Ingalls Wilder has a long reach. So uh, that comes with all of the same kind of stuff that they have uh, packed onto the previous releases, including the... Uh, part six of their Little House Phenomenon Lasting Legacy documentary series. And uh, there it is. Oh, wait, there's a show that was developed for uh, the FX network called Powers. And uh, Powers is, the, is a show about these, uh, these guys who are members of the Powers division. What they do is they're the ones who, they're sort of the uh, police. And what they do is they police a world that is filled with superheroes and some of these superheroes actually, uh, Jay, they're just into like mischief and petty crime and whatnot. So somebody has to police these a world filled with people with superpowers, and it's this powers division. And it was uh, originally developed for FX Network. They passed on it, so it wound up becoming the very first show from the PlayStation Network. No kidding. Which is kind of interesting. So um, now is the show good? You know what? Um, I, I watched some of this. I thought it was pretty good, actually. It's you know, you know what it does? It has all the superhero action stuff, which is cool, but... It kind of has like that kind of hard-boiled, you know, not film noir tone, but it kind of has like that really dark, you know, garishly lit noirish stuff that you kind of get like on uh, some of the fancier CW shows. Mm. So I thought it, it combined, you know, two genres, the superhero genre with like the law and order type detective genre pretty well. Um, I love Charlotte Copley, the guy from District 9. He's fantastic. Um, so Power Season 1. Not bad. Um, I'd be curious to see the PlayStation Network actually like develop something 
on their own mm. and not just take some cast off that was already developed by a better network. But uh, there you go. So season one of Powers is on Blu-ray, and uh, uh, you can check that out. If you're into it, go. Also, we have, uh, by the way, I just uh, saw this off the pile, uh, Mutant Planet season two on the Science Channel. This is um, about all these crazy critters who live in uh, Namibia and India and Borneo and Africa and Central America. It's, uh, it's cool stuff. Boy, we were, that was a real right turn, wasn't it? Um, hyenas and foxes and other crazy critters who eat things. So uh, it's cool. A lot of great photography in Mutant Planet Season 2. Um, you know, again, you know, we only see, like, you know, cats, dogs, and the occasional, uh, you know, hamster. But the world is filled with just crazy animals who just look really gorgeous or really scary and have all sorts of crazy eating habits and mating habits and whatnot. And uh, Mutant Planet gets us into that. So, um, yeah, I would definitely, if you're into that, check that out. Mutant Planet Season 2. Mutant Planet. Sweet. I think I'll look at. I, I always like creepy monkeys. You know that. That's like, gonna be. That's the name. You know what? That's the new name of my band. Creepy monkeys. Creepy monkeys. Because you know we usually like you grow up watching nature documentaries and they always show you chimpanzees and gorillas and they always show you the primates that that look normal. They don't show you the really just tweak stuff. They don't. They don't show you that there are monkeys in jungles and parts of this earth and like in Southeast Asia and no, Central he, America. There are monkeys that look like they come from another planet. They are the scariest, weirdest, most deformed-looking, psychotic things, and they will eat your face. No, you if know you what? Get is? too close. Fish. There are fish who live like in this weird thermal vents in the bottom of the something with like these James horrible Ca- teeth in, in the James Cameron zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. they're really out I there. Know. I know. They're freaky. They got like the little antenna things that hang in front of their head, and you wonder how. There's no. There's no way that is. Not only is that proof that evolution is wrong, it's not even proof of God. It's proof that there is some strange alien power playing a joke on us. Is what it is. It's it's proof of something really nefarious and malicious out there in the universe. Oh God, that's what it's a proof of. You crazy? Yeah. All right. Uh, from Mill Creek, a bunch of these TV Guide classics collections. Uh, which are nice little compilations, so you don't have to buy a whole series, and you know you get these. They they kind of do the work for you, and they're and they're and they're fine if you just want something to look past the time and arouse some memories. Ozzy and Harriet favorite memories, twenty five episodes from that classic series. I was never a fan; always found it a little bit cloying. But it's uh, it's a legendary show, and it's historic. You know, in the, in the early nineteen fifties, that along with shows like I Love Lucy and the Donna Reed Show. They sort of uh, defined what television would become in subsequent decades. So you got to give them some props. And uh, they also have 39 classic episodes of The Adventures of Robin Hood, which was actually a television show at one point, in, also in the 1950s. Uh, completely fallen off of most people's radar. But it's, it's, it's actually not bad, to be honest. Uh, it, it's sort of what you would expect of a 50s television show. Feels a little bit like, you know, Daniel Boone except with Robin Hood. Uh, it's a little bit stiff, but uh, they, 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 make, they make a go of it, actually. And it makes you... First th- thought I had was, that's interesting. Why hasn't anyone thought to do a Robin Hood TV series again a little bit like this? I know there's, I know there's a BBC show that sort of tried to do that, but it's, nobody's really quite done it right. It's too bad Robin Hood couldn't be played by Robin Williams. Right. See, that would have been a show. And speaking of, they also give us 39 episodes of Sherlock Holmes, the complete series. It only lasted for 39 episodes. Obviously, Sherlock Holmes has a much richer television uh, pedigree than, uh, than Robin Hood. It's been done to death many, many times. But in 1954 and 1955, they were able to make a pretty good go of it. All those other shows are always American, except for Elementary, which is like the new 
American Sherlock Holmes ver- version of it, uh, interpretation of it. But the others are all British. And uh, this was an American variation on it, and it uh, wasn't bad. Uh, Ronald, uh, Ronald Howard plays Sherlock Holmes, and Howard Marion Crawford plays Dr. Watson. And uh, some really good episodes here. It's very clever. And then lastly, there is uh, TV Guide Classics, Television Legends. And this is more of a potpourri. They uh, throw together a lot of stuff. Of uh, They throw together basically television uh, material of Johnny Carson, Jack Benny, and Milton Berle from the Johnny Carson Show, which was a precursor to The Tonight Show, the Jack Benny Program, uh, which is not the Jack Benny Show, and uh, the Milton Berle Show, which is not exactly the Buick Hour. So it's sort of not their best moments, but some of their better moments. And lots of interesting guests, Dean Martin, Bob Hope, uh, Frank Sinatra, future President Ronald Reagan, Humphrey Bogart, Bing Crosby, uh, Jerry Lewis, Jaja Gabor. It's good stuff uh, for people who like a little bit of classic television. Speaking of classic television, Wade, we have two here. We have The Cosby Show, uh, season seven and eight. Obviously, the uh, single seasons aren't selling too well. So now they're uh, combining seasons, seven and eight. Yeah. I mean, really, there's no reason not to do that. It's, it's just so random. Let's do seven and eight. Why not seven, eight, and nine? Why not odd-numbered ones? Why not even-numbered ones? <laughs> Why not just a whole damn show in one pack and get it over with? I mean, who's going to buy, Who's going to buy? you know, three and four but not uh, just, uh, You know, some kid I, who uh, just got his allowance. I don't know how life works anymore. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know who's going to buy this now that Cosby is a, is a rapist. Um, <laughs> anyway. Final season of Barney Miller. That is Mark's opinion only. (laughs) Do not sue us, please. Um, Anyway, uh, hey, at least I'm not Donald Trump. There Uh, you go. uh, Barney Miller, final season out on uh, DVD. I love this show. By the final season, though, it was time to go. Uh, Most of the original cast uh, still there, still hanging out in New York's Greenwich Village precinct. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Eight season run. This is the last one. So uh, if you're a completist, you cannot miss Barney Miller, the final season. Hal Linden's still around. Wise guy's still around. God love him. You know, the, uh, the werewolf and vampire and zombie things are just getting so old. And this show, Bitten, um, it, it's just it's enough already with, like, Twilight for television. This is the complete second season. And it, I, I never saw the first season, but this just feels old already. Uh, it, it's it's just the same old thing. It's the whole underworld slash Twilight thing projected onto television, and uh, it's it's kind of tiresome. But I guess there's a following; otherwise, it wouldn't have made it to a second season. Uh, you get behind the scenes featurettes and extended scenes and stunt and gag reel stuff and uh, a little a little panel from the New York Comic Con and I, I guess that's meaningful to somebody. Uh, we also have the second season of Graceland, uh, which I'm somewhat familiar with, and uh, it's oh, it's okay. Speaking of Graceland, you know you were you saw the Sphinx in Graceland, right? Oh yeah. I think you said that last week. Did you yeah. not say that joke last week? I know, but I'm still I'm still trying to reinvent it. <laughs> reinvent it? You said it the same way. Uh, well, the, uh, you know, the Graceland, the Elvis. Uh, never mind. It's not working. I'm going to throw it under the bus. Go on with that one. Uh, so anyway, it's a, basically it's a it's a you know it's a cop show, and it does what most cop shows do, but it does it does okay. Three discs, um, you know, it's decent procedural stuff. And then there is uh, Playing House Season 1, which is a USA series that is continuing this summer. 
And um, the only way I can describe this is if you were to take... I don't know. There's no way to describe it. It's a, it's a fairly pedestrian comedy, and uh, it's, it's about these two women who basically decide to give... It's like, a, it's like a Kate and Allie thing. You know, they're, they're going to raise this one woman's child together because her one woman's husband was unfaithful, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's not very funny. And uh, you kind of speed through these episodes and you wonder what the point is. And I'm sure maybe at some point uh, it'll get into something that's, that's funny, but it needs, it needs more time to develop. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll give Playing House the benefit of the doubt and hope that USA can make a, make a go of it this summer. Oh wait! Touched by an angel, Amazing Grace is uh, it's a, it was a two part uh, episode of the uh, show or two is it they called it a TV movie event and uh, it's about uh, Roma Downey Jr. and she's an angel and she graces people and Della Reese looks looks like she's she's so angelic and beautiful. God I hated this show. All men hated this show. Mm-hmm. There was nothing to like about this show. I am sorry. Touched by an angel, the worst. I I, I don't yeah. even want to tell you what this is about because. No one's going to rent it, and no one's going to buy it. So, All right. Well, then let's, let's move on to... House of Cards. Come oh, on. Wait. Season three. You know, I, I, I kind of... Um, I, people, I, people are starting to forget this originated as a British series, a really good British series. Well, that's true. Now, I was... Because big... now this is the dominant... It's like the, it's like the office, right? It beca- it's becoming such an American phenomenon that the original has kind of fallen into its shadow. Well, I, I was a big fan of season one. I kind of crapped out on it after season two. It got too ridiculous. Now with season three, I'm kind of getting back into it. Uh, you know, uh, Kevin Spacey is the he's president, and uh, you know, it's uh, y- you know, you have all sorts of um, interesting dilemmas. The show it's directed by a whole bunch of different people, but there's definitely a uh, consistent tone established throughout. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these people wind up uh, kind of like Game of Thrones, where they wind up directing these really interesting dramas, you know, in big screen dramas. Mm. Um, Aneska Holland also, you know, she was involved in the show. Love her. Anyway, uh, so House of Cards season three, it's, uh, it's available now. It um, looks great, sounds great. Really like the show a lot. It's, I'm getting back into it. I'm all on board. Um, he's the president. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Claire wants to be a U.S. ambassador to the U.N., so that's part of it, too. And uh, I won't tell you what happens, but I will, um, I will let you enjoy House of Cards Season 3. I'm back in it. Yeah. All right, we're going to talk about some... Uh, we're going into classic movie mode right now. Got a lot of stuff that's come in over the last few weeks. And uh, try to go through this pretty quickly. I got some cult stuff here. It's no, all. there isn't one this week. Uh, Blue Underground has given us... You know, the Italians, when the Italians get going on the culty stuff, not just spaghetti westerns, there's just no stopping them. Um, the first one here is uh, another Django film. This is Franco Nero, the original Django, along with uh, Klaus Kinski, in uh, uh, Man, Pride, and Vengeance. Uh, and there are a lot of Django films that have nothing to do with Django. Uh, for, you know, a lot of people just thought Tarantino invented it. No, it, there's a whole thing. The, the thing that's amazing about this is this was actually shot by Vittorio Storaro. People don't realize Vittor- before he did real movies like a, you know, Apocalypse Now, Vittorio Storaro actually did. He, he went through the, the ringer just like everybody else. And uh, it, sure, it's good looking. And, and you know, Luigi Bazzoni, who is otherwise a completely negligible, negligible director, does a perfectly okay job. But really the only reason you're watching this is for Franco Nero, uh, who is just so cool 
it defies comprehension. It defies the laws of nature. So uh, otherwise, pretty, pretty straightforward Django movie, Man, Pride, and Vengeance. And then also from Blue Underground, we have a trio from uh, legendary cult director Enzo Castellari. Enzo Castellari knows how to just crank this stuff up to 11 and uh, really push it over the top. And uh, this is, it's funny because this is, you know, it was looking into the future to the year 2000, which makes it hysterical looking back now. Uh, the first one is Escape from the Bronx, which obviously in this Blu-ray DVD combo pack, collector's edition, is meant to uh, totally riff on Escape from New York. And uh, it is every bit as wonderfully and hilariously cheesy as you would expect, with nobody of any significance whatsoever in the, in the, in the cast, but uh, some great extras. Because Castellari, is, he just kills it. He kills it with the audio commentary. Uh, it's absolutely worth listening to. And then, uh, as if that's not enough, we also have 1990 The Bronx Warriors, which was the original of his, uh, of these films. It is the less interesting one, obviously, enough. Uh, I think Escape from the Bronx is far and away the, the better film. Uh, but this one still has a lot going for it uh, from the camp, in the camp end of things. He also does a great commentary. Uh, and uh, by the way, Castellari is the guy who did the original Inglorious Bastards. As long as we're on the whole Django Inglorious Bastards Quentin Tarantino remake thing, if that's if that means anything. Um, but none of these are particularly that as good as that original one. And then uh, I think one of the more amusing Castellari films of all time from Blue Underground in a Blu-ray DVD combo pack, as are all the others, is The New Barbarians. Uh, the New Barbarians is, takes place in the year 2019. So we're not there yet. We're still a few years away from what he uh, expected to be his version of a weird, qu- strange, Mad Maxi kind of um, post-apocalyptic environment. And uh, the story here is is just bizarre and hilarious and, and uh, kind of medieval. The only thing that makes this really, really entertaining is the fact that Fred Williamson is in it, and Fred Williamson makes everything awesome. So uh, I applaud him for putting Fred Williamson in it, but otherwise none of this makes any sense, but it is truly hilarious, and the transfers are great. So Blue Underground continues to go to pick up really interesting, bizarre, culty films, and they've got a treasure trove here. Oh, wait, a couple films from um, back in the day, late 80s, early 90s, that uh, really seemed kind of like very generic-y action films, but somehow they used to crank these out in the late 80s, mid-80s, late 80s, early 90s. One is called Firebirds. This is with uh, Nicolas Cage, Tommy Lee Jones, and Sean Young, directed by David Green. Uh, wants to be Top Gun, but yet somehow it's not Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so uh, it's the whole idea is that these guys are, are members of the, uh, the U.S. Army's elite Apache Corps. They're this airborne task force, and they fly these special planes, these special helicopters. And, uh, you know, look, it has its moments. It's some nice aerial, aerial photography. And, and who, doesn't love the, who doesn't love them? Some Tommy Lee Jones, because he's awesome. And Sean Young is in it, too. But ultimately, I just feel like it's, you know, it's just warmed over Top Gun. We also have an interesting failure from uh, Bob Rafelson called uh, No Good Deed. Now, Bob Rafelson's the guy who directed, uh, you know, Five Easy Pieces and Blood and Wine. And he's, uh, he's Bob Rafelson. He's cool. And here he's directing a film starring uh, Sam Jackson and Mila Jovovich. This is before Mila Jovovich became like, you know, the uh, Resident Evil temptress. This is from uh, 2002. Uh, Sam Jackson plays a detective, and he's in, in the course of a, a bank robbery. He's kidnapped, and he's held captive by, this, by these uh, bad guys. 
And uh, with the girlfriend of the mastermind bad guy is um, Jovovich. So it's all about the cat and mouse thing. Um, it's, it's not bad. Ravelson is not really an action director in my mind. So I don't know that uh, this is really the best use of his talents. But still, you know, it's, uh, it's stylish because it's Ravelson. But ultimately, this is not really a Bob Ravelson film. Uh, then we have a movie that I kind of liked from back in the day called Old Gringo. This has a good cast. This is Jane Fonda, Gregory Peck. Okay, so right there, you know you're in good hands. Jimmy Smith is in it, too. This is before it became like, ugh, Jimmy Smith, why? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, Jane Fonda, she's this, uh, she's this frustrated, like, lifetime single woman who decides to, uh, you know, leave America and discover her passion, uh, you know, uh, in the south of the border. So it's good. It's an it's it's not the sweeping love story that I was kind of hoping for, like that real like you know English patient sweeping love story type thing. But you know it's it's pretty good. It's not bad. So, and of course Gregory Peck's in it. One of his last performances or one of his later performances. This is from '89. So um, it's not bad. So it's you know there's some good um, battle footage that takes place during the Mexican Revolution, and it's got that sweeping love story against that backdrop. So. Old Gringo, uh, not bad. It got some attention uh, back then because of the cast. Uh, so, you know, it's not bad, Old Gringo. All right, I'm going to uh, hit up some of these Scream Factory double features right now, which are actually a lot of fun. And they're, they're good transfers, and they're, they're, they're really smart um, smart double features for, from the uh, Shout Factory, Scream Factory line. Uh, the first one is Ghost House and Witchery. Uh, both of them kind of, you know, lower tier, uh, horror films, culty classics that are sort of barely culty classics from the late, uh, 1980s. The one that is highly recommended is, is, uh, Witchery, just because it pairs David Hasselhoff, David Hasselhoff with Linda Blair. Uh, that alone is Oscar worthy to me. That's just brilliant. Uh, the Outing and The Godsend um, make for, you know, an, uh, it, 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 if you haven't seen either of these, they are, um, they're, oh, how do you put this? Uh, these are also from the, uh, the 1980s. The Outing is the later one from 1987, um, which is a genie horror film. It's the only thing that makes it interesting is it deals with the genie because horror films don't de- generally deal with genies, and I find that... Well, like genie coming out of a lamp kind of genie? Yeah, yeah. Like so a, does a guy rub his lamp and then a genie comes out? It's a horror that's film. that's very sexual. Okay, never mind. The Godsend is the more interesting film from the 1980s because it's, uh, it's sort of a leftover... Uh, Rosemary's Baby thing, you know, that that really kind of ran its course by 1980, but a few of these films were still uh, left over. So anyway, um, that's kind of in that same vein, peripherally. And then we, uh, the last two here, I'll get to the best one, uh, I'll save the best one for last. There's Cellar Dweller and Catacombs. You get it? Cellar Catacombs? This is how they do these theme things? No. You know, it's it's the whole underground thing. Cellar Dweller from 1987, Catacombs from 1988. Uh, Catacombs is is truly hilarious. The, the 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 makeup effects are terrible. The whole concept of uh, you know these catacombs underneath a monastery uh, that hard that have the beast of the apocalypse. It's just it's just so silly. It's just brilliant. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, Cellar Dweller is a little bit less interesting, but uh, it's still you know kind of a similar plot. And then the best of all of them is a double feature of Tentacles and Reptilicus. Uh, this is pre-CGI monster movie brilliance. 
Uh, I believe they had a baby called uh, Reptilicus. So so freaking brilliant. Reptilicus is far and away the best from 1962 when they just had no shame about these things. It is absolutely awesome, low-budget uh, creature feature madness. It is wonderful. Garish colors, truly hilarious. Um, directed by uh, Sidney Pink, who did a lot of these kind of films, and uh, it, it's just hilarious. And then uh, Tentacles is a little bit later, 1976. The, uh, the only thing they really recommend this is that it has an, a ridiculous cast for a movie like this that includes John Huston and Shelley Winters. And you watch that and you just think, are you kidding me? How did, what makes that even remotely possible? And uh, moving on to some, uh, well, let me, let me, let me well, Mark, Mark just left the room. Mark can't keep his hands off his new TV gizmo, which he, he's not going to talk to anybody about. Olive Films. Let me name, name some great Olive uh, releases now that they have licensed. They got some great stuff here, from, uh, especially from the MGM and 20th Century Fox libraries. The Mean Season with Kurt Russell and Marielle Hemingway. Told a story a few weeks ago about Marielle Hemingway uh, looking at my daughter as she was having a tantrum on the floor of a grocery store. The things that happened in Los Angeles. Uh, anyway, The uh, Mean Season... Is uh, is actually uh, surprisingly surprisingly ahead of its time. Uh, it is. It's not a global warming film per se, but it is a. Uh, it seems to sort of foreshadow it, and uh, it's directed very well by Philip Borsos. It's a little bit like a weather version of uh, the China Syndrome, I guess, in some respects. Kurt Russell gives a really good performance. So does Mariel Hemingway. Great music by Lalo Schifrin, and a nice supporting performance by Richard Major, who is. Uh, uh, the, who is, I guess he's still the president of the Screen Actors Guild. Um, a movie that I was particularly fond of, but nobody else was, uh, is Soul Plane, which is kind of like Airplane done hip-hop style with, uh, it's uh, basically kind of, anyway, you get the unrated and the theatrical versions here. It doesn't make a difference, really. They're pretty much the same movie. Uh, Snoop Dogg is a pilot. I, the whole, the whole it's like more like the, almost more like the big bus. Actually, we keep talking about that. <gasps> the big. It's bus. like big bus is like a big a big purple soul train plane in the sky. I think I thought this movie was so funny. I really did. Uh, no, sure. no, everyone everyone thought I was insane. They thought I was just completely losing my mind for a moment. Well, you lose your mind every but moment. It's funny. You're Wade. It is funny. Uh, Brian Bosworth in Stone Cold. Man, that is just that is just the weirdest thing. Look how they try to rip off the Terminator artwork for this thing. Yeah, there was just shameless. There was a moment when they were trying to make him into uh, the new something. Well, he was. You know what the thing with Bosworth was? He came out of college as this hot NFL prospect, and he was a total bust in the NFL. I mean, he was like supposed to be this amazing lineman or whatever he was, and you know, he he was a, like he was a bust in the NFL. He was all style and no substance. You know, it was all about the hair and the face and the looks and the thing. And uh, so he made a quick exit from the NFL and parlayed that into a into a brief but somewhat successful career in movies. And I don't know what he's doing now, but uh, somewhat successful. Yes. Anyway, too bad he couldn't hang around because he was with the Seahawks, right? And the Seahawks, you know, went on to win a Super Bowl eventually. He ain't no so, Jim Brown in terms of uh, football people. True. And, Isn't that true? And by the way, can I just say... Or Burt Reynolds. Or Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Or The Rock. I know The Rock is wrestling, right. but I love The Rock. I do. True. I do. He's I, cool. I do too. He's charming. He's the real deal. Yep. Stephen Baldwin and Lawrence Fishburne in Fled. That is also now out on, uh, on Blu-ray. A really good directing job by Kevin Hooks, uh, who deserves a better film at some point soon. It's a couple of guys on the run movie. It's, you know, the old exploitation 
thing taken to a different level. Um, and then, by the way, his his dad was uh, Danger Man, right? Danger Man, Trouble Man, Trouble Man. Trouble his man. dad was in Star Trek. Uh, no, that's, three. Yes, he was, but he was originally Trouble Man. No, he was in Star Trek Three. And then Josh Brolin in. Uh, he was the one who told Kirk he couldn't have the Enterprise, so Kirk had to go steal it. Correct. It's very important. I know it's important. And then a very young. He had a mustache. Why? Why is Why is no Paul Blart mustache giveaway for know, uh, for hooks got, in Star Trek Three? He had no, a mustache in that movie. I have no answers for you. A young Josh Brolin, back when nobody cared if he was in a movie, uh, stars in Thrashin, which is a skateboard movie. Nothing special, but uh, I'm sure it has a following. And then lastly, a movie that is widely considered one of the worst films ever made is now out on Blu-ray. And I have to say, I think everyone should own this. Because the thing with two heads is masterful. It is not doesn't mean to be masterful. It's just so ridiculous. You're going to laugh from the first frame until the last, and you're going to laugh straight at it. This was produced by the wonderful Sam Markoff, who I did briefly know when we made our documentary and uh, had the privilege of interviewing him several times. And and uh, Sam, this just reeks of Sam. It's one of the last things that he he cranked out uh, back in 1972 before he sort of went on to a hiatus from exploitation films. The Thing with Two Heads is basically a thing that has two heads, and those two heads are Rosie Greer and Ray Milland. And why they were they're Rosie Greer and Ray Milland, it's not, I, it, it, there's not really a comment about racial harmony in 1972. I just think they could only afford Rosie Greer and Ray Milland, speaking of former football players. It's just hilarious. Ray Milland was a former football directed player? Directed by Lee Frost who did a lot of these kind of cheesy films. Uh, it's, just, it's just too funny. It's just really, really outrageously bizarre. It's, a, it's considered one of the worst films ever made, and it probably is, but it's so entertaining. It's very mystery. It, it, it's ripe for Mystery Science 3000 treatment. All right, Mark, let's talk about some of these uh, DVD-R releases from uh, Sony. Sony has their own DVD-R line. They don't package it differently, so... They're going to look the same when you get them, but these are MODs, and they're films that have been out previously. Um, the Man Without a Past is a really cool Aki Karazmaki film. Um, it's his strange, deadpan uh, sense of humor. It's about a guy with amnesia and his very strange, kind of mythical uh, way of, you know, journey to try to get it, put his life back together again. Uh, and it's kind of sweet and weird all at the same time. The Karsmaki brothers do weird. They're sort of like the like Finland's answer to David Lynch. And uh, this is one of his better films. Um, it won some awards at various festivals. And if you haven't seen any Aki Karsmaki films, I would say The Man Without a Past is one of the better ways to begin your exposure to it. And likewise, uh, Kikajiro, if you're if you're not a Takeshi Kitano fan, if you don't like all of his violent uh, gangster movie stuff... He's awesome. He is awesome. I love all the violent stuff, but if you're, if you're not into that, you're going to want to see Kikajiro, which is him in a completely different mode, and it is wonderful. It is, uh, this was a big deal at Cannes the year that it was released, uh, and it is just a really, really sweet, humanistic story in which he's not playing some kind of a psycho gangster. He's playing um, a guy who befriends this sweet little nine-year-old kid who's looking for the mom that he never knew. And um, he, he's, it's, you know, it's, the, it's the usual thing, right? It's uh, the, the crusty old guy and the sweet little kid, and they each learn something from each other, and he softens the old guy's heart, and the old guy you know, helps him kind of grow up and come of age. 
And but it's one of the best films I've ever seen based on that premise, and it's just absolutely wonderful. It's a, it's a, it's one, it's just a sweet Japanese road trip done with Kateshi Katano's unique style and no explosions, no guns, no gangsters. Well, then forget it. Oh wait, here's an here's an interesting movie that uh, that has a great idea that might be ripe for a remake. Although I think the remake would be a really strident. Um, potentially uh, unfunny, over-the-top film. Anyway, The Last Supper is from 1996, and um, it's about a, a group of, the, of these, these uh, grad school liberals. Right, There's Cameron Diaz and Annabeth Gish, and uh, Courtney B. Vance is one of them. And so there are these five liberals, and they get together for this dinner, and, of course, all they're talking about is liberal this and liberal that, how much they love being liberal, and all the social things that liberals believe. And into this situation comes this redneck trucker. And the redneck trucker has them really kind of looking at their liberal beliefs and what, uh, you know, how this trucker is sort of making them rethink their beliefs and what they would do to him if they could because he's like a redneck and he's obviously just very, very, you know, deep South conservative. And um, put it this way, it's the type of film where if you made it today, it would be really over-the-top strident. But now, in 1996, when, like, Fox News was just starting up and whatnot and, um, you get something a little tamer that kind of exhausts its one-note idea pretty quickly. Um, it has some pretty decent uh, – uh, visually, it's shot pretty well by Stacey Title, who I don't know that uh, Stacey Title has done anything since. Um, but anyway, so it's, it's, but it's got a lot of dark humor. It's got a great, it's got a great premise. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very cool, satirical way to approach the political debate in this country. However, I have a feeling that um, uh, you might watch this and go, cool idea, but today's political climate just does not support this version of this premise. But it's definitely a nice shot, The Last Supper. Also, What Planet Are You From got a lot of attention, uh, A, because it was directed by Mike Nichols. You, you know, the, 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 the vibrating, the, the whole vibrating gag in this thing still, <laughs> still slays me. It's funny. And I know it shouldn't, but it does. No, it's funny. Got a great cast: Gary Shandling and that Benning, Greg Kinnear, uh, Ben Kingsley, uh, John Goodman, and uh, whatever happened to you, Linda Fiorentino? They're all in this. It's uh, this about this alien played by Gary Shandling who has been sent to Earth to uh, to procreate, and so uh, yeah, so he has to understand women. So really, it's a story of my life because I feel like I'm on a, I'm on a, from another planet <laughs> trying to understand women. Anyway, you know what this? It, you know it's it's funny. I think this is a funny movie. It is. You know, but it's sort yeah. of like mid It's sort of like mid nineties funny. Uh, yeah, well, that's Gary. Everything Gary Shandling is mid '90s funny. That's <laughs> oh, his whole. On. That's his whole vibe. Now, mid '90s guy. Now, one movie. Oh, is it you? Huh? Did I do this. You know, let, let me get this out of the way real quickly. Uh, me without you is out again. This was out previously, and it went uh, out of print, and and a lot of people panicked because it's kind of a film that didn't do well when it was initially released. Um, but it's got it, it's it developed kind of a following. It's called Me Without You. Michelle Williams and Anna Friel, who was on the uh, recently canceled American Odyssey, and uh, directed by Sandra Goldbacher, who previously did a film uh, that I was actually very, very fond of called The, uh, the Governess with, uh, with the uh, – what's her name? Uh, Helen Mirren. No, 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 no. Uh, never mind. D- 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 triangular face, uh, British actress, uh, surfs a lot. Triangle face lady. Not gonna think. I'm, I'm drawing. Her name is in triangle face lady. No, 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 no. Damn. Oh, what are you talking about? Uh, is she old or young? Young. Uh, anyway, uh, Emily Blunt. No, no, no. Forget it. I'll, I'll, I'll. The governess. Look up the governess. If, if I know who this person is, I'll be very upset. With you, you do know who it is. I, I, I just, I just can't. I'm, I'm not pulling her name so up. What, I'm what, looking what's at, the? Is that a show? The governess. The governess. It's a movie. 
movie. Uh, anyway, Michelle Williams and Anna Friel um, in in a film that takes place in the London suburbs in the 1970s. And, uh, oh, I know who it is. They, I'm not going to tell you. No, I'll, I'll give you her initials. Yeah. MD. Mini Driver. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Could not place Mini Driver's name to save my life. That's how old I'm getting. Anyway, so Sandra Goldbacher did The Governess with Minnie Driver, which is a wonderful film. Uh, and then this was her follow-up, and it didn't, it didn't quite catch fire, but it has kind of, de- over time, grown a, grown a following. Anyway, uh, Anna Friel, Michelle Williams, friends in London in the 1970s, all the way into the 2000s, uh, just their, as their lives change and they grow up. And, you know, it's two friends uh, over this incredibly long period of time. And... Uh, it's very true to life. It's just it feels it's got a, it doesn't it never rushes even though it covers a big span of time, uh, and it's a it's just a solid film. And I'm surprised that Goldbacher hasn't been able to sort of parlay that into something bigger and 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 you know meatier. But it's the the plague of being a female director. You know, if she'd been a guy making this movie, she'd be directing you know Ant Man five by now or something. So anyway, that's worth checking. out. Are you out. seeing Ant Man next week? I'm seeing it. <sighs> Probably not, but you know we'll see. I'm, I'm I'm just wondering whether this is the this is the one that'll suck because someday a Marvel movie will suck. It will, and I it's it'll just, blow hard. It's, it's just inevitable. I've got I got to focus on Minions and a bunch of other stuff because I'm on uh, I'm on NPR. Wait, on did you see Minions? I'm passing on that. Not yet, but I have to. I have to go see it for Eddie. So anyway, wait. Let me tell you something. There's a movie that uh, I know you're gonna say, oh, I don't want to see that. It stars a bunch of old people. You know what? The Sunshine Boys is super. It's just great. It is it's so this is, funny and sensitive I and lovable, l- and it's just great. Another another great Warner Archive Blu-ray release. This one, love this movie. This is uh, George Burns and uh, Walter Matthau. They play uh, Lewis and Clark, this uh, old team from vaudeville who have not talked for years. And they decide to get back together for a TV special, and uh, it's all about them trying to get over their differences and their petty arguments to uh, make this TV special a winner. And uh, it's great. Uh, George Burns, who had not done a film for like 35 years, won an Oscar for this. And uh, Matthew, I think, was also nominated. Um, he was nominated for an, for, a, for an Oscar for this. And it's directed by Herbert Ross, who, uh, you know, he's not like a comedy director. He's a very more of a sensitive director, but he's just, the script is so fun. Neil Simon. And uh, I just think Sun- Sunshine Boys is terrific. It's based on the uh, Neil Simon play. Cannot recommend this enough. It is really cool. I know you're thinking, oh, it's old people. It'll be stupid. No, man, this is funny stuff. Really good. And George Burns, you know, George Burns is kind of forgotten now, but he was a classic comedian who lived to be over 100, mm-hmm. and he was active for he was active for pretty much 99 of those years, right? I mean, he was active As well into his 90s. He started, he's like a kid in vaudeville. In fact, whatever. I remember, this is a stupid story, but and this has nothing to do with George Burns per se, but I remember the very first checking account I ever got was for Brentwood Savings and Loan. And the uh, spokesperson for Brentwood Savings and Loan was George Burns. Ooh, good call. And he, he would have his little cigar. He goes, you I, could put your money in a savings and loan. I remember you, that. You do not. I do. I do remember that. <laughs> I remember all those old commercials. You kidding me? I'll look that up. I, I was look. glued to the television when I was a kid. Look that up right now. George Burns, Brentwood Savings and Loan. When I, was, I, when, I was, when I was 13, I was introduced to sunlight, and I, I, I thought it was this strange alien thing, and I ran back screaming into the house. I didn't know what it was. Let's see, let's see rescue me television. All right, a bunch of other Warner Archive collect, uh, collection uh, releases that are all great. All of these are just little diamonds that have just been unearthed. And, uh, you know, the people at Warner Archive are just there. They're like, they're in the minds of the archive, and they're finding these really cool little movies. Uh, this is great. Um, this is David McCallum in Three Bites of the Apple. 
which uh, also features, you know, among other great supporting performances, Harvey Korman, who just makes every movie better that he's in. And David McCallum, of course, uh, oftentimes associated with The Man from Uncle, which looks like it's being made into an absolutely terrible feature film. I hope I'm wrong, but the trailer does not look great. Doesn't look anything close to what the TV series was. Uh, but the uh, this is just a this the whole concept here is really really fun. Uh, David McCallum basically being a uh, an Englishman who uh, wins big time at a casino on the French Riviera, and um, is suddenly attracts the attentions of the gorgeous gorgeous Sylvia Koskina. Um, the, uh, and at, at that point, this thing becomes just one of these really great kind of Blake Edwardsy kind of, uh, um, romantic thrillers. It's really fun. Uh, we also have George Maharis and Robert Morse in Quick Before It Melts, which is... <laughs> quick Before It Melts. Quick Before It Melts. Yay. Uh, which is a really su- just a super cool period comedy. It wasn't a period at the time, but you know if you if you love the the whole groovy '50s '60s scene, uh, this just perfectly captures it. Directed by the Oscar-winning director Delbert Mann, who did Marty, and uh, Delbert Mann's other films never quite came to the level of Marty, but they're all really fun and they're all really smart. Uh, right up to his very last one, which was the about the balloon crossing uh, from East Germany. Really, he just Delbert Mann was is one of those horribly unheralded directors. Anyway, this is a this is a sharp film. Uh, we also have uh, Bob Hope and the Global Girls in a Global Affair. That's a little bit of a marketing uh, thing there. Uh, this is one of the lesser known Bob Hope movies, but um, you know, pretty much anything that Bob Hope is in is is okay by me. Bob Hope just always makes me laugh. Uh, we've got f- to kind of wrap things out because we're running out of time. Uh, Five Came Back is an interesting film with a great cast. It includes John Carradine and Lucille Ball, directed by John Farrow, who is, Mark, you know who John Farrow is. Uh, that's Will Farrow's brother. No, he's Farrow, F-A-R-R. Mia Farrow's brother. Mia Farrow's dad. In any case, uh, this is kind of a Gilligan's Islandy thing. They're uh, you know a bunch of people who are uh, who, who are st- who find themselves stranded in the jungle. And, uh, you know, John Farrow was a real workmanlike director. He wasn't exactly, uh, you know, A-grade, but he, he always did a really, really good job. And among other interesting anecdotes, this thing was uh, co-written by Dalton Trumbo, who seemed to get his fingers involved in just about anything that was troubled at some point. Uh, you know, one of the other things that was a big deal in the 50s and 60s was movies that had uh, flying themes because suddenly everybody could fly. Flying became affordable. So it wasn't, uh, you didn't, you could get from Europe to the U.S. without hopping onto a boat and without, you know, paying an arm and a leg to uh, get on a plane. And so you get a lot of sort of uh, these, these Pan Am type themed movies. And one of them is Come Fly With Me. Uh, which is just absolutely delightful. Uh, Come fly. With I mean, Mark, look, look at the artwork the, the, with the waitress. Yeah, the, you can't the, do that today. No, you can't do that. You know, the, the whole uh, stewardess thing. It's just, it, it's fabulous. Uh, anyway, this is a great comedy and uh, wonderful performances from Dolores Hart, Pamela Tiffin, and Lois Nettleton as stewardesses. It is just really, really fun. Uh, written by William Roberts and directed by Henry Levin, who was another really great workmanlike studio guy. That's a nice little uh, blast from the past. Uh, Betty Davis is sensational in Satan Met a Lady 
which is uh, one of those uh, not top-tier noir, but it's, uh, it, it's sort of middling noir, and it basically tells the same story that was uh, later told to much greater effect in The Maltese Falcon. Uh, so it's of interest to people who are fans primarily of The Maltese Falcon because you get to see how the story changes and how it gets honed and so forth and so on. So uh, that's of use. And then lastly, the jewel of the archive, uh, the Warner Archive releases this week, is the Eddie Cantor four-film collection, part of the Samuel Goldwyn Classics line, which includes Palmy Days, The Kid from Spain, Roman Scandals, and Strike Me Pink. Uh, Eddie Cantor uh, is due and ripe for rediscovery, and these are all really great films from the uh, early to mid-1930s when he was all the rage. And uh, my favorite here is The Kid from Spain. Eddie Cantor as a bullfighter is just one of the funniest things you will ever, ever see. It is absolutely genius. And uh, also worth checking out is uh, Strike Me Pink because it has Ethel Merman in it. And Ethel Merman is uh, Ethel Merman's great in absolutely everything that she does. All right, Mark. Um, is there more? No, I think that's it. Uh, we're we're good. Is there uh, any any? Uh, yes. Wait. Hang on. Hang on. I found. You, I know you had of, found. You found something I, you want to well, share. Well, no, you. I found one of the uh, George Burns Brentwood Savings and Loans commercials. Oh, sweet. So hang on for a second. You ready? Okay, I'm going to play right now. Do it. Rock it. So long, sweetheart. That's Louise, my bank teller. I just withdrew from the bank. She's so upset she refused to validate my parking. What's a man to do? Brentwood has a service called the interest checking account. So now I can do both, my checking and saving at Brentwood. That's convenient. You also pay me interest on my checking account. Great odd. You paid me compliments. Now Brentwood is paying me interest. Now I have to say that's pretty great. Now, that, okay, that's not the one where he sings, you can put your money in a savings and loan and whatnot and so forth. By the way, I have to give a shout out to my father who I wanted my own checking account and Brentwood Savings was right across the street from uh, Brentwood Elementary School on San Vicente Boulevard mm-hmm. and I only had $92 to my name. I had 92 bucks. That was it. So I really wanted $100. It seemed like a nice round number. Sure. It seemed like the type of uh, number that rich people have, $100. Yeah. So I asked my dad for 8 bucks so that I can round it, get up to 100 for my first uh, checking account. Pretty great. He gave it to me. Nice. That's Sweet. What, that's what daddies do. That is what dads do. So there's uh, George Burns. You're, you're uh, just uh, making me feel guilty. Now you're making me think, what, what kind of a dad am I going to be? Am I going to part with my hard-earned money? And uh, Hell no. No. Probably not. <laughs> no. Go out. Sweep some uh, sweep some floors in a bank at night or something. Oh. That's what you do. And I mean, look, she's, she's almost, she'll be three next year. She'll be old enough to go get a job, right? Damn right. Or is that like a, I mean, like, a, like, in, a, like in a sausage factory or... Maybe maybe a garment factory, right? Some, you know, here's what she should do. She should have an overnight job cleaning all the equipment at a slaughterhouse. So Excellent. she walks around at the slaughterhouse with brooms and, and, and whatever they however they clean the guts, putting them like in the grills and the sluices that That's a make good all idea. the guts and blood go out the door. Develop a good work ethic. That's, a, That's what we'll do. <laughs> I like that. No, do I do? I like that a lot. She'll have the overnight shift cleaning a slaughterhouse. So, like you know, we'll I'll, we'll I'll, we'll get that we'll get that hooked up. So as soon as she turns three, we'll have her uh, we'll have her on that because she's pretty good with a broom already. 